while this morning, we're going to get back and, and, and complete what we started a month or two months ago. Now, most of the, we're going to talk about relationships. Most of the joy we experience in life, as well as most of the pain, is a result of our relationships, friendships, marriages, parent-child relationships, work relationships. Uh, every, uh, you know, the highs and the lows really all about our uh, uh, relationships that we have with each other. Even if you have a big victory at work or at school or something like that, what makes it special is not that you did it, but that you're able to share it with the people who are around you. When you're surrounded by the people you love and the people who love you, uh, the hardships of life just seem more bearable. You know, they're not quite as bad if I've got somebody with me who loves me and cares about me. And, and, and even if I mess up, this person still is with me. On the other hand, I want you to think about this carefully too. No amount of success can ever compensate for the pain of a failed relationship. Now, I didn't say that you can't overcome a failed relationship. You can. We all do. It's been done over and over and over again. You can overcome a failed relationship. What I said was that success is no compensation for a failed relationship. Don't give up on relationships so you can make money and other kinds of things because success will not compensate for a failed relationship. The news is continually filled with famous people who fail in their relationships, their marriages, their relationships with their children uh, and things of that nature. They can, they can manage you know, a multi-billion dollar financial empire, but can't seem to keep a good relationship with their children, with their husband, with their wife. But here's a fact. If you want to be happy and fulfilled in this life, then learn to manage your relationships. Those who consider friendship and marriage and those kinds of things disposable items ultimately find themselves unhappy, unfulfilled, and alone uh, in life. Ray, God made us for relationships with him and with each other. Nobody is made to be on their own. Uh, studies have shown that the happiest and healthiest people are those that have strong, fulfilling relationships. I, I read one study that indicated that uh, happily married men live longer than divorced men or single men do. So I should live forever, you know, in my, in my life. Uh, but uh, not 100% true, but happily married men tend to live longer. So last month I began this series called The Business of Living. And it's been about managing different areas of your life. We talked about your time and your career and your money. Uh, now, managing all these other areas of life kind of has to do with learning to control things in your life, control how you spend your money, control how you spend your time, control the direction of your career. Today, we're going to take a look at relationships because relationships matter most. So we're going to talk about managing your relationships. Now, it's a little bit different managing relationships than managing money. Yeah, I said some people can manage money. They can't manage relationships worth anything. Uh, and here's the difference. Managing your relationships is not about control. It's about commitment. Uh, try to control relationships too much, and you just blow them up. Managing relationships is not about control. It's about commitment. You can't control others. Now, maybe the exception of that would be little children. Uh, 
parents control everything. You know, when the time a baby is born, they control everything. But the whole idea of raising children is not controlling them, but it's teaching them to make good decisions so that they uh, are off on their own. You know, you don't want a, a, a person who's 40 years old who still goes to his mama and his daddy for everything that has to be done uh, in his life. That's not the idea. But, but relationship is, is about making commitments to people. Now, the similarity in, in all the things that we have to manage in this life is this. This is the last sermon I'm going to be doing on the general subject, but the similarity is this. We're able to manage every area of our life because of our commitment to Christ. So in money, there has to be a commitment to Christ. In time, there has to be a commitment to Christ. In, in career, there has to be a commitment to Christ. And certainly, as we talked about being committed to each other uh, in our relationships, there must be a commitment to Christ. And so today, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to take a look at Proverbs chapters 18 and 19, a couple of the wisdom chapters of Scripture, and look at this, three commitments that will strengthen our relationships. And these are real simple things. Most of the stuff I tell you on Sunday morning are just about as simple as they can possibly get. And the first commitment is this, a commitment to loyalty. I mean by that, that the people who are closest to you need to know that they are important to you, more important than the externals of life, more important than your job, more important than your car, more important than your house, more important than your recreational activities, whatever those recreational activities might happen to be, the people in your life need to know that they are at the top of the list. The people who are closest to us need to know that they have our loyalty always. Here's something that Solomon said, and I debated with myself whether to use this passage of Scripture, and you'll understand why, but that's pretty well known. Proverbs 18.24 says this, the New King James Version. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, uh, in, uh, the, there are two different words used for friend in the original language. The Hebrew language is just what the book of Proverbs was, was originally written in. A man who has friends, that's a word that means acquaintances, companions. It's a generic word. It's just about people who are around you. We might say they weren't even real friends at all. A man who has acquaintances, a lot of acquaintances, must himself be friendly, but there is a friend. And that particular word uh, is a word that, that means to love. There's, there's true friendship. And in true, true friendship, that friend doesn't give up on you. That friend is loyal to you all the time. A man who has friends must show himself friendly. There's another interesting word. That, that word actually means to be evil or bad or, or to break or something of that nature. And that's why if you're reading a version of Scripture, even though they're all looking at the same words, uh, you might read something different. For instance, there's a very literal translation of Scripture called the English Standard Version. And in Proverbs 8, 20, 18, 24, it says this, a man of many companions, general friendship, may come to ruin. If that's all you have is just a whole bunch of people that run with you all the time, that could be the end, the ruination of your life. But there's a real friend, true friends, who sticks closer than a brother. And a lot of you read the New International Version, which reads like this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, there are some interesting differences in translation 
there and the way these words are translated, but the key is the difference between knowing a person on a surface level, a person who's just kind of in it because you're fun to be around or you got money uh, or whatever, uh, and a person who, who values you as a true friend. An acquaintance is a person you get along with, you know, or, or you're, you're friends with as long as things go well between the, true, the two of you. But a true friend is one who is with you regardless of the circumstances. And so I'm just going to ask you, what kind of, think about your friends and your friendship and your, your relationships. Are you committed them to them so long, only as long as they do what you want them to do? Are you committed to them only as long as it benefits you uh, personally, or can they depend on you <clears throat> regardless of what happens in life? Are you always going to be there for them regardless of what goes on in life? <clears throat> in the book of Job, in the Old Testament, Job put it like this in Job 6.14, to him who is afflicted, that is, you get a guy who, who has problems. I mean, he just gets knocked down in life. And if you've ever read the book of Job uh, in the Old Testament, you know, here was a guy who was rich and famous and had everything, and he lost it all in just a few, uh, a few days' time. He was down, and he was out, and his, everybody turned against him uh, in life. And so Job wrote this. He said, to him who is afflicted, when you really get knocked down in this life, kindness should be shown by his friends. Even though he forsake the fear of the Almighty, even if this person turned his back on God, his friends should stick with him, not kick him out. I've read a couple of other translations. Let me do it here again. In uh, the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, a despairing man should receive loyalty from his friends, even if he abandons the fear of the Almighty. You got a person, he or she is, is a friend. If you have a real relationship there, you don't abandon them just because they do something wrong. Another translation, the New International Version says, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. God doesn't forsake us when we're down and out. God, God doesn't forsake us when we do the wrong thing. He doesn't approve of us, but he doesn't forsake us. He sticks with us. There's that friend who sticks closer than a brother. We know how that speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're down, we need our friends to help us get back up again. In the Old Testament, there's another really interesting and powerful love story about a man, a prophet whose name is Hosea. And Hosea uh, married a woman. Her name was Gomer. What a name for a woman. That, there's several people in the Old Testament named Gomer. But most of them are men. But Hosea married this woman named Gomer. By the way, if you see our buddy, the, the prophet Roy on the corner, he has a sign about uh, about Gomer. But uh, anyway, he's referring to this particular story. The story is a metaphor of the relationship between God and his chosen people, Israel, in the Old Testament. And so, uh, and Israel was seen as the unfaithful wife of God. Hosea loved Gomer even though she was unfaithful to him, even though she was a prostitute, even when she left him lived with another man committing adultery, even though her name was Gomer. He still loved her and was committed to her. After Gomer had deserted Hosea for another man, God said, go look for her. And he went looking for her, and he found her on the auction block being sold as a slave. 
and he bought her back out of that slavery and took her back home with him again. In Hosea chapter 3 and verse 2, Hosea recorded this, So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one-half omers of barley. Some, some, some uh, grain and some silver. Verse 3, And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. He said, I'm taking you back. I love you. I'm committed to you unconditionally. You're going to be only for me, and I'm going to be only for you from now on. Uh, tough, tough thing to do, but what a great example of how God loves us and how God is committed to us, even though we do all kinds of stuff that we should not do. And it's an example of how we should be loyal to each other. Managing your relationships is not about control. It's about commitment. It begins with a commitment to give those who are closest to you your undying loyalty. Even when they let you down, you be loyal to them. Even if they desert you sometimes, you're loyal to them. Even when they fail you, you are loyal to them. You don't have to condone what they do because we all do some stuff we ought not be doing, so you don't have to condone it, but you can continue to be their friend and to support them and try to bring them back where they should be. So three commitments that will strengthen our relationship. The first one is a commitment to loyalty. Now the second one is a commitment to listen. This is really practical, but I think it's, it's, it's extremely important, a, com a commitment to listen. You know, some people hear what you have to say, but they don't really listen uh, to anything. I was reading about, there's a uh, a publication, a, a, a magazine that was published for about half of the 20th century. It's called Theater Arts. There's a 19, April 1919 cover from Theater Arts. But read about this guy who back, you know, when you call directory assistance to find out what the number uh, of a place was, he, he called directory assistance and he said, I, I'd, like, uh, I'd like for you to give me the number of Theater Arts. And, and the operator responded, I'm sorry, sir, but we don't have a a listing for Theodore Arts. And he said, no, no, no. He said, Theater Arts. And, and, uh, and the operator said, I, I just told you, sir, there is no Theodore Arts listed here. He said, no, no, Theater, T-H-E-A-T-R-E, -E, Theater Arts. And the operator said, sir, that's not the way you spell Theodore. Uh, you know, you've, have you had conversations like that uh, before? Uh, some people hear you but they do not listen to what you have to say. They have their own agenda going on in their mind. Now, I use a little manual when I do premarital counseling called Before You Say uh, I Do. If I've ever talked to you, then, then you, you're familiar with this particular uh, book right here. Uh, and it's great. You don't even have to go to counseling for this. You can just work through it yourself. But H. Uh, Norman Wright, at one point in this manual that that that, that uh, men and women before they get married are supposed to work their way through, talks about listening. What is listening all about? Let me read this to you. He said, when we are truly listening to another person, we're not thinking about what we're going to say when he stops talking. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, can you really do that? Is that possible? If you're listening, you're not thinking about what your response is going to be. We're not form busy formulating our response we're concentrating on what is being said. Now, don't shut me off when I read this next line to you because I know some of you will tend to do this. Listening is also complete acceptance 
without judgment of what is being said or how it is being said. Just keep that in your mind for a minute. Often we fail to hear the message because we don't like the message or the tone of voice. We react and miss the meaning of what is being shared. And I'm, you know, now I read that and I'm saying, this is impossible. You know what this guy's talking about here just can't be done. But let me give you his, he's going to define what he means by absolute acceptance without judgment. He says, by acceptance, we do not mean agreeing with everything that is being said. Acceptance means understanding that what the other person is saying is something that person actually feels. See, normally we listen to some things and say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. No intelligent person could possibly really believe that, so you must be lying. Either that or you're just an idiot, right? Uh, he, He says, that's not listening. You're not listening when you kind of, you get that in your mind. Acceptance means understanding that what the other person is saying is something he feels. Real listening means that we should be able to repeat both what the other person has said and what we thought he was feeling when he was speaking to us. One of the greatest gifts that you can possibly give to another person in a relationship is just to listen to what they have to say rather than prejudging and shutting them out because you don't like the words that are being said or the tone of voice or something of that nature. Solomon said this in, Solomon, in, in Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. We do that a lot, don't we? We already formulated our response. We didn't listen to what's going on. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. And in the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this in James 1.19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You know, spend more time listening than you do talking back and getting mad about stuff. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. There's nothing manipulative about listening. If you're trying to manipulate, you're not listening to what's going on. You can't try to control somebody when you're listening to them. Listening simply requires commitment. I love you. I value you as a person. I'm listening to what you have to say. So first commitment is commitment to loyalty. I'm, you know, I'm with you no matter what. Second, a commitment to listen. I I hear what you have to say. I value what you're saying. And the the last one is this, a commitment to love. Uh, There was a, a stupid TV show on in the 60s. I watched some reruns of this show or part of it. I can't stand watching the whole thing. And I think, how could people possibly have ever watched this show? But it's called The Love Boat. You remember The Love Boat? Anybody remember that? Good gracious. How could anybody possibly have ever watched The Love Boat? But there was one episode in which Captain Stubing was performing a wedding ceremony aboard ship. I understand captains have the right to do that. He went through all the vows, and then he's looking at this guy and he says, do you promise to love her, cherish her, honor and keep her as long as you both shall what? It should be as long as you both shall live. That's not what he said. He said, as long as you both shall love. In other words, here's a back door. We'll stay together as long as we have feelings for each other. And when the feelings go away, I go away too. When the feelings go away, I'm not obligated to stay 
any longer. Well, that's not what God teaches about love and marriage and commitment. You know, it's, it's unconditional. So long as we both shall live. I'm going to tell you something you may not, not, not believe, but feelings can be rebuilt. You may think, well, I'll never feel that way again. You can. You absolutely can rebuild feelings again if the commitment remains. We live in a society that equates love with emotion. Most people think that love is just something you, you feel. And of course, hey, one of the best things about love is the powerful emotion and powerful feelings we have, especially the rom in the romantic aspect of love. But love is something you do, not just something you feel. Love is a commitment that you make that is stronger than any feelings you might have. Love is a commitment. Now, hopefully you're attracted to the person, you know, and you like the way the person looks and, and those, those kinds of things, but, but love is not that. Love is a commitment you make that is stronger than any feeling you might have. The great love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, says this in verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. That means love puts up with a lot. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Verse five, does not behave itself rudely. Does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Verse six, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Verse seven, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wow. Can you really do that? You know, is that really possible? Let me read it in another translation. The New Living Translation says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Or verse five says, or rude. Uh, rudeness, that's all right. I kind of stress that. I, hear, I see too much rudeness going on in the name of love, right? Love is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. Verse six, it does not rejoice about injustice. That is when things go bad for somebody, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Verse seven, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. If that's what love is, and that's what Paul said love is, then it's obvious that love is not about feelings, and love is not about control, but love is about commitment. Let me just say that one more time. Love is a commitment. Love is an attitude that says, I want what's best for you. It's not all about me. Too often, when we, what we masquerade as concern for others is really just an attempt to get them to do what we want them to do. You know, well, I think this is best for you when really what I think is this is what's best for me. Solomon said this in Proverbs 19 and verse 22, what is desired in a man is kindness. Here's what people really need from you, kindness. And a poor man is better than a liar. Now, without trying to put all that together because sometimes they don't always go together, but, uh, but it's better to be poor than just be lying to the people in your relationships, we can say that. The New International Version says, what a person desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. If you can communicate to people that you are sincerely committed to what is best for them. You'll gain their trust. You'll have a tremendous influence in your life. I kid Gene a lot of times 
I say, trust me, I'm only doing this for your own good. You know, she laughs and does whatever she feels like doing after that. But it should be a true statement, right? That the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I love you and I want what's best for you. First, the, the people you have relationships need to know for sure that you want what's best for them, not what just what's convenient for you. Let me say this one more time. Love is something you do, and it is by definition unselfish in nature. Now, we have a lot of areas of our lives to manage, and it gets complicated, you know, uh, the job, the retirement, the money, the uh, you know, the investments, the house, and all the stuff that breaks down, you know, all this stuff that goes on in our life. Uh, in most cases, it means taking control, grabbing the reins, refusing to let go, hanging in there. You got to take control of your time, your money, your diet, your career, all these kinds of things. But your relationships are a little bit different. It's not about control. It's about commitment. And so as you manage your relationships in life, commit to these three things we've talked about. Loyalty, commit to be loyal, commit to listen, commit to love. You become the best friend, the best father, the best husband, the best mother, the best wife, the, the best grandparent, <clears throat> the best child, the best grandchild, the best in-law that you could possibly be. Now, <clears throat> Of course, there's one relationship <clears throat> that makes all these other relationships possible. Without this relationship, all other relationships are hollow. It's the most important relationship that any person ever has in their life, and it's the relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. Scripture, you know, everybody knows the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only one-of-a-kind son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. <clears throat> we are imperfect people. There's not a one of us that can measure up to God's standard of absolute perfection. If you had to put yourself on a scale of zero to absolutely perfect, everybody would put themselves down here. Now, you put some other people below you, but you put yourself less than perfect. <clears throat> and that's the reason that the Father had to send the Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay the price of our sin. And when we place our faith and trust in him, when we go to, the, uh, to God and say, oh, oh, Father in heaven, I realize that I can't do this on my own. And I know that Jesus died on the cross and paid the price of my sin. Therefore, I confess my sin to you. I ask you to cleanse me and take me into your family. When we say whatever words we say when we go to him, we establish that permanent, eternal relationship with the Father. Without that, everything else is ultimately empty. Relationships. Life is nothing without them. Starting with the relationship we have with Jesus. Now, if you'd like to have that kind of a relationship, I'll be happy to talk to you anytime about it. Uh, uh, look around you. Other people, there might be somebody you trust a whole lot more than me. Uh, if, they, if you know that they know Jesus, just say, hey, you know, give me a little help here in how I should, how I should relate to the Father in heaven. I believe all that stuff. I want to believe all that stuff. I just don't know if I've done everything I should do. Talk to somebody about that, somebody that you know knows what God 
is all about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know you're here with us today, and I thank you for that. I thank you that you care about us. It's amazing. It's just We can't wrap our minds around the fact that, that the eternal God, the, the creator of the universe, would care about us as individuals, but you do. You do. Each and every one of us, regardless of our backgrounds, you care about us equally. And so I ask for your grace and your wisdom today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please, and sing?